Hey guys, George Mesa, Third Eye Edify Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I am very excited, to say the least, because I've been on this little music journey lately. I don't even know where it's going to end, but the concepts discussed today might be some of the more important ones regarding how the ideas that have made their way into the most popular music for us particularly rock and rock instrumentation, have affected us greatly and subconsciously push these, I don't know how else to say it, agendas, these concepts that are becoming extremely popular nowadays, especially. So, and in a bad way, by the way. (laughs) So let me start here. I want to play for you what is called a progression, a musical progression, several chords, in a certain order that usually come back to some home base or what we'll call a tonic. Tonic being number one. If we play a scale, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then we come home to the octave, eight being the octave, O-C-T. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a few progressions. I'm not going to give a general context. Use your ears. That's what music is. It's not a visual art, technically speaking. Maybe with your third eye, you can see. But let the ear that you have, naturally, trained musician or not, let it guide you. Some are going to sound very familiar, and some are going to sound kind of familiar. Unless you've never listened to even one thing ever musically, which is probably impossible, you'll recognize some of this. What I'm going to discuss about them will come afterwards, but I want to get these sounds in your ear so you can see how chords typically work. I'm playing on a bass guitar, which isn't really good for chords. This is what a chord sounds like. Kind of muddy, kind of low. I put my settings on kind of a trebly, guitar-y kind of setting. I'm going to play them up here so you can get a gist of what they really sound like. And I wrote out the ones I want to play ahead of time. So here is the most common and actually the most fundamental progression there is. Going from one to five and then back home again. If you find yourself humming or wanting to sing along, that means that the notes are doing what they're supposed to do. Certain notes play certain things and with your mind, and they make you want certain expectations, actually. And that's the idea of dissonance. This doesn't sound dissonant like bad, but it sounds like it wants to go somewhere. So that's the point. Dissonance is motion, and I've discussed that in a few episodes, but I think that we'll discuss more of the different concepts I haven't gotten to yet in the path of where I'm going now. So here's the more truly fundamental essence of what Western tonal harmonic, as in chords, theory is. If you were to analyze an entire 40-minute symphony, it breaks down to this at the end. This is what we actually get with our um, any piece of music, really, especially classical composition, where you're a composer. You have to use these rules for the most part because that's where notes go. That's what notes want to do. The very first one I played actually has six out of the seven notes in an entire scale. It's a C major which is all the white keys on the piano, C, D, E, F, G, A, B. That's seven notes. We get back to C again for the octave. C to shining C, I always tell all of my students, young or old. And this means that that's why these chords have the relationships they do. You almost use the entire scale in just two chords. When I add that third chord that I just did, we actually get all the notes of a scale. 
So these progressions have purpose, they have function, there's a reason, and it's not time to get into all that. But this is what we're supposed to expect to hear. Tonic, predominant, dominant, and we come home to our chord again. And a small variation that has even more appropriate dissonance. Predominant, five, seven, don't worry if you know what it means. Slightly more dissonance and more of a demand to go back to the tonic and relax, a point of rest. This is the point of rest that we have. Every other chord, even if I just play one of them, does that sound stable? It's consonant, it's a major chord, a triad, we'll get into that too. But it wants to go back somewhere, it has to move. It's not a point of rest. Now that this key is in your ear, you're hearing that, believe it or not. So here's something that you'll hear way more commonly in a modern song, let's say. Sorry. How many times have you heard that sound? It takes what we're expecting and it places it in a different kind of way. And I'm going to be discussing the concepts of inversion today because a lot of music is inverting the natural properties of what we're expecting to hear and what we naturally want from our tonality. And it's just the start. A lot of times we might only get those first three chords, but in the opposite order, inverted. This is another part of this experiment, I'll call it. And last but not least, we often hear what's called a blues progression, a 12-bar blues. And it would sound something like this. Maybe I didn't play it perfectly, but the idea is there. You get that sound of the blues. And often it's a little more dissonant. We get this dissonance here. That's what you usually get with the blues. And I, read, I mentioned the blues because it's the early progenitor of what rock has become. And it does take from classical because it still uses those same chords, tonic, predominant, and dominant. And don't worry if this is relatively going over your head. I'm just preparing your ear for this conversation today about the holy trinities of music. Sort of a play on an episode I had from last year, Unholy Trinities, the completely different topic. But music has holy trinities. It has triads. It has three chords that we're expecting to hear. And there's a lot more to it, I think. So join me in this continuation of my music discussion, we'll call it for today. And thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's get into this thing. I think I'm going to keep the bass on me. It's not really going to affect what I'm doing, but just in case I have to play something or give you an idea about something, I think it's worth me holding on to this. So now having played all those chords, so what, right? Big deal, whatever. Here's why. I think this is one of the things that's been manipulated and inverted for the masses. This concept of going from tonic to dominant and back to tonic is the purest essence of Western theory. This is what you're taught to do with music. This is how keys work, C major, A flat major, whatever. This is how this key works. It uses a tonic, we get to the dominant, and we come back home. And there's probably predominant to give us all three, tonic, predominant and dominant. Dominant being the very last thing you hear that gives you the proper dissonance that demands that you go back home to the tonic. This is the concept that goes into all classical training, all music theory training in general. And like in the Matrix, you got to know the rules before you break them. 
it helps. But you don't always have to. I also think it's strange that we try to learn how to read from day one. Most of us, I assume, did not learn how to read before we learned how to speak. And having been somebody who did teach myself and then finally got to practice reading after being proficient in playing and listening, I think the reading came very, very, very quick and easy. Of course, it would have been quick and easy if I learned from the start, but I think it's hard for a lot of kids to read and play and focus on the writing. So that's a whole different topic, and I will get to that, actually, because I'm trying to, maybe with that not being so um, outlandish in my wording, trying to revolutionize my teaching style since I've been doing it for so long. Anyway, tonic, predominant, dominant. So how do you invert something like that? You simply reverse them or just change the order, primarily in a way where not only does the dominant not come last to bring us back to the tonic, but the tonic is almost obscured because of this. If I play this for you again, like earlier... I think you guys can sing the next main note that's coming. I think you can actually know what the tonic is just from hearing me play these two chords. That's the essence of it. It is supposed to guide your ear with expectation. And the best composers over the centuries have actually learned how to play with these expectations. And that's kind of the fun in composing. But composing and writing aside, there are ways around it. It doesn't have to be like this every time. But music in general, particularly rock, and um, this goes for a lot of other ones, pop, rap, hip-hop, whatever you want to call it. Um, all of these different styles that have come up through the past few decades, particularly in the West, are doing their best to either avoid it altogether, disregard it, or invert it. And when you do that, you get something that obviously works, because most of this music is a wheel that keeps repeating over and over again. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, ending. You get this repetition. And through the repetition of this inverted, incorrect, so to speak, progression, your ear just becomes familiar with it and you relax and it just works because it works. Melody doesn't have to follow these rules now. And I really think this is a large inversion on what's been happening. Um, what, what has happened to music is this inversion of it. I really think it's made it a large impact. And there's several reasons. So let me just get the idea across of a few things. This is the initial holy trinity of music, the chords, the pillars of music, the tonic, predominant, and dominant. And if I sound like I'm repeating myself a bit, I want to make sure anyone that has never heard these terms before is not completely in the dark with what I'm trying to say here. Um... You need dissonance. Dissonance is required when you are playing music. Dissonance is required when you have a melody. The dissonance is what gives your ear the notion that you're coming back home. That you're coming back to a point of rest to finish things, the finale. Stories do the same thing. When you write a story, you start somewhere, you get to this climax, there's resolution, conflict, whatever, and then you make your way back. And very often you make your way back to where it all started. We're telling stories with melodies. And I was getting at that last time that storytelling is one of the biggest ways to control the masses. Now we're not telling stories anymore with the music. We're letting the words tell the stories. And melody doesn't have to have words attached to it. I was talking about how there's subtitles for the same exact language you're listening to nowadays for all these short videos that come out. These little 10-second entertainment blips of nothing that will clearly die off soon enough, hopefully. And there, this is a big factor, in my opinion. Now the words are telling a story. Often some awful tale about lost love, a previous life that you used to have, that you loved, that you missed, you had to move from somewhere. Just whatever it is. It's always this negative thing that other people can attach themselves to, it seems. And that's negative in itself. It's rarely a positive thing. It's, it's very frustrating. But the words are telling all the story. You don't know what chords go into the songs you're listening to. Why should you? Who cares? You can sing along with the melody, maybe. You can hum it. But more importantly, you know the words. 
and the melody becomes secondary. Most people are accurate with the words, not accurate with the melody. When they're not, you know, trained musicians or never put the time in to sing in the mirror or sing in the shower, whatever. So my point is, the essence of storytelling with simply a melody alone is, it seems to be changing. It seems to be, I'm not saying it's dying. A melody is king, always. But with once you attach words, it changes things. Now we don't need the rules of this tonic predominant dominant as much. We really don't. Because the words offer the resolution. The words do all the storytelling. And only the very best bands and composers attach the words in a way that matches what the melody is implying. But when the words are there, the melodic implications kind of fall flat and they don't matter as much. I'm not saying we don't have to have I'm not saying that we have to have music without words. But I'm saying that the notion of attaching words to melody is it's bringing us to a different place than I think melody can actually give. And it's an ancient thing. It's not anything new, putting words to music. But there is poetry and there's music, and they are separate. Poetry has musical concepts of rhyme and rhythm and meter. Just like rap and hip hop, this is not a, um, a a style you just throw away because you think it's bad. There's plenty of awesome music in that category, and very good musicians, believe it or not. Regardless of what I've heard Jerry Garcia say in the past, that there's no musicians rapping. Like, give me a break. Music is music; it doesn't have to have chords. But the the idea of poetry and music being separate. And equal in a certain way. It's real. And I really think we have to start thinking about these things. Because we're not. We're in a haze. We're in a daze. We're in entertainment overload. And that is another factor here. The idea of equal temperament. The idea of playing in a certain frequency of 440, whatever. The idea of entertainment bringing us our music. And it's such an overload that, well... Artists come and go to begin with, as it is. Most bands and separate, you know, singular artists don't really make it that long because no one really cares. They get a hit song, everyone just loves it, and then it just dies and no, and everyone forgets about it and it's time for the next one. No one seems to cherish anything anymore. Melodies themselves, passed down through generations, never written down, these are cherished. These are turned into something special every time a new person sings it not restricted to the guidelines of a strict rhythm or specific chords. Melody implies chords to begin with. You can imply the 1-4-5 with a melody, this tonic predominant dominant. So just some food for thought in general, because I think by inverting this very primary and obviously functional progression in the styles that we're used to, it really does cheapen the concept of even bothering to use it. Particularly this particular, that's the one that I hear the most. How many times have you heard that? It plays on a loop endlessly until the song's over. And then there's words and the melody is relatively meaningless. I'm telling you that it doesn't often even match what it should what it's supposed to with these chords. So that is definitely something to think about. And it may require more looking into, but um, take my word for it when I say the rules are broken very often and not from a place of expertise or some cunning writing trick. The rules just don't even exist. There is this idea of a lack of a fundamental approach to just about anything nowadays, especially with the internet. You can learn plenty, but it's still worth it to get advice from an expert a human expert by the way and that's lacking there's even ways as i mentioned in a previous episode to research pitch without its fundamental and only look at the overtone series fundamental less pitch examination there is a lot of fundamental less everything in our society and um, that goes a long way here i think because a chord without its fundamental 
it's not the same identity. When the tonic, when you don't know which one of those chords is the tonic, not through a lack of expertise, but through a lack of laziness or carelessness when creating music, this is, and this is when the problems start. Leave a comment. Tell me what you think about all of these things, whether you're trained or not. Don't be embarrassed to sound like you're not a musician because you're writing on Third Eye Edify's page. Do whatever you want. I, I will respond to you right away. And um, we can all learn. We're all learning. Trust me. Um, I'm just making sure that I didn't miss anything that I wanted to say here. Let's, let's just mention one more thing. When you sing that Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, and you hit T at the very end, you can hear dissonance in one note. I've made this example before on the Interverse podcast, as a matter of fact, uh, last year, but take a listen to this and tell me if you, first of all, can you sing the appropriate final note without me playing it in your mind or sing it? And is it, does it sound like it's uncomfortable and it needs to go there? Does it sound dissonant? One note, right? I'm just going to play the chords real quick to get the, um, the gist of it in our ears. Here's that scale with only T. What do you think? Does it sound unfinished, uncomfortable, dissonant? This is the power of melody, no chord required. It wants to end. It wants to do something. This is the power of melody. Melody can actually imply entire chords without necessarily being very upfront about playing them note for note. Perhaps this is my actual style as I make my episodes. I like to bring you to that dissonance to that point where you have to now make a decision and or do more research to find more things out not to be lazy or lack anything but i don't want to say to you this is how things are don't get a brain chip i've said that before but other than that i don't really try to push my own direct thoughts because they change and it would be silly for me to lay down demands or definite concrete things when i might not even like this video in a year from now or a month from now. Who knows? <laughs> um, so this gets avoided when we don't use the dominant chord as the final dissonant chord to go back home to the tonic. We lose what I just played in that scale because that note is in the dominant chord. Listen to it as the final chord. was part of the chord this time and it did the same thing so that's what's in the scale is the function of the chord and again don't worry if you're not trained i hope it makes more sense to you now even if you can't name what chord i just played or anything else or even play it i think you understand it a little better now the concept of melody actually implying chord and the fact that the dominant definitely wants to go back home to the tonic that's what i want you to walk away with if you have no idea what i'm talking about so by using this equal temperament. And then we avoid these rules. It kind of sort of works. This is the part that, that's pretty harsh. It works. And through repetition, it, it'll sound like it's okay, like it's normal. When people are talking about the 440 versus 432 thing or not using equal temperament, when people are talking about that, we're talking about differences that are relatively imperceivable. But... Much like when I use tuning forks, it's not this direct uh, tuning forks for healing, for sound healing. It's not this direct, immediate thing most of the time. But you know it's working. You know that it's doing something. And uh, unlike taking, let's say, a pill for your headache, the tuning fork may clear it right away, but there's, there's long-term use here. If you see a chiropractor, you don't just go once. You have to get adjusted. You have to get yourself stabilized. So they've destabilized us from the nature of music to hear what is technically wrong. And it works. Now it works. Through inculcation. And I think that's stunning that, it, that they found a way. They, 
have found a way. We can get around it, but it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of teamwork. But maybe this is part of the grand scheme. Um, let us use sim you know, systems that we, we grow familiar with them. Now we're comfortable with them in our ears, in our souls even. We're comfortable with these incorrect usages of our own beautiful music that's available to us. Um, and again, I, I think it works best because it's an equal temperament. Every note is not supposed to be equal. With equal temperament, if you avoid the rules, it's not as jarring, it's not as obvious, and when you grow up with it, you'll never know. You wouldn't even know that there's something going on. People assume music is this untouched thing. That's fine. It's a huge part of the agenda. It's a huge part of what's pushing us. And I hope that the next part of this discussion will prove it much more than this. This is the lighter side of the concept. This is the part you can get away with easy. And this is the part you can fix easily. This other trinity that I'm going to mention, I think will give you even more proof, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm not even mentioning, I'm not even talking about minor scales, minor keys, by the way, A minor, C minor. I'm simply discussing major. There's a reason for that. Maybe I'll discuss it. That's a little music theory-ish, and I don't think we have to go that way. So I mentioned the holy trinity of tonic, predominant, dominant. Let's move ourselves over to now the other potentially more obvious trinity or triad that exists and that is a chord a chord is a triad it's three notes that's a chord and it takes three believe me check this out is this that same chord i think so right with only two notes. Let me add a different third note. Tell me if it still sounds major. This may come right back to the title of the first. This is the third episode of this music concept um, string of episodes here. The first episode was called Harmonic Deceit, Chordal Deceit. This is the deception. Ah, it's major. No, it isn't. You can deceive the listener. It's meant... You You can do it in a, in a musical way. You know, compositionally, you can do it with good intention. It doesn't mean you're ruining someone's life because you wrote a song. But melodies can sound different based on what chords are being played underneath them. And, as I had mentioned in one of the previous two episodes, the concept of major and minor being happy-sad has completely been inverted as well. And minor, sad things used to be used for happy occasions, and major was more of a serious tone. So that's an incredible thing that I hope um, stuck with you if you had watched the previous ones. And if you hadn't, I suggest that you do. I don't think necessarily that it's required for you to understand any of this, but I'm trying to place everything in a flow. So this concept of a triad in music, there's certain labels, and they are worth knowing. When I play those three notes I played before, we get the root, the third, and the fifth. And if you're thinking the next one would be a seven, that's correct. One, three, five, seven, nine, 11, 13. And then we're back home at 15, which is two octaves. But we don't need to know any of that stuff. The triad is the pure, actual chord. Everything above that is a whole different thing that you don't need to know if we're not already a trained musician. So what, what kind of trinities do we know of, non-musically speaking? It's a concept of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I'm sure you've heard this before. We can begin to see a certain pattern if we start to attach these concepts to those trinities that we know. The root, the third, and the fifth, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Or let's say, Father, Child, Mother. Or let's say, 
God's son, Mary. Or maybe land, sea, sky. So what has music done to invert this? On a light side note, particularly when you learn guitar, guitar especially, because it's one of the only instruments that you can play chords on more than one note at a time. You can finagle two notes at once on trombone and clarinet, but you got to be pretty damn good. This is actually meant up here. I can play four notes at once. Guitar, you can play six notes at once. Keyboard, you can lay your arms down and play 50 notes at once if you feel like it. And because of this, um, particularly rock and punk rock and other styles like that, they have actually managed to create a style where we don't have the third of the chord. And keep in mind, biblically, we rise on the third day, which is an astro astrological idea that we think is obviously something else when we're trained and inculcated in that direction. But now what happens? What happens if we remove the third from these chords? It's nicknamed the power chord, but here's what it sounds like. It's just the root and the fifth. How many times have you heard that? Right? This idea of removing the third may actually play more of a role than we ever thought in our minds and our souls. It's, it's crazy that this even happens, but take a look at this, right? Let's just pretend we look at it the first way I mentioned. Father, child, mother. Right? Let's say now we just have father, mother. But they're not parents anymore. It's just husband, wife. What's missing? A child. Why? Like the two Giza pyramids. One's just a little bigger than the other, mom, dad, and then little baby one. It's a beautiful thing going on at Giza. But let's pretend we don't have a child now. Isn't that part of the goal for depopulation, for dehumanization? They've convinced you that having a kid ruins the ecosystem, that having a child or more than one especially, that you're helping climate change. It's one of the biggest loads of crap I've ever heard in my entire life. But in a, in a, at some level, with triads not even being, with chords not even being actual triads, we're missing the third. We're missing that. And it's, it's a subconscious influence. Let's look at it this way. What if it was land, sea, sky? What if it was land, sea, and sky, right? If we're missing the sea, we just have the land and the sky. What is the sea, the mare, the Mary, the womb? the water in the womb. Primordial ocean is where you are conceived. Not conceived, but it's where you grow before you're born, before you are, before you actually experience the, the air and the earth. You get sea first. And there's a lot of debate about who can have a child. Women. There's a lot of debate about who can be pregnant. It's getting out of control. So I think this actually lends itself to this conversation. It's like, no, no, don't worry about that. Just worry about your physical reality. Don't worry about what happens before you're born. Don't worry about how gender works. Don't worry about any of that stuff. And I really think it's harping on a transhuman concept. On a robotic concept. Think of it this way. What if it was... Um, what if it was mind, soul, body? Or maybe maybe body should be the, the root, right? So body, soul, mind. Now why would I say that? Mind could be wind. If the M changes with the W. So wind would be the air. The earth would be the body. And the water could be the soul. Now, what if we're missing that soul? This is what robots are. They've got a something of a mind, 
it's just code. It's just binary code. They have a body that can resemble us. They can look like us, but they don't have no soul. I'm just holding back my <laughs> words here. There's no soul. And funny, I actually just thought of this, funny parallel here with the sea missing the ocean, the soul from robots, from computers. What is one thing that computers simply cannot have? That is water. You cannot put water on computers. It usually short circuits them. Now, they're making some pretty serious robots that look like they're built for war. Dogs and other things that can do a lot and can handle a lot. Maybe you can't splash water on them to kill them. I assume they thought of that. An army of dogs splashes. If an army of dogs shows up in the rain, they're, gonna, they're all going to burst out. I don't think so. But computers trying to become humans can get two out of three things right. The third one is missing. And if it was water, that'd be very interesting. Computers cannot have water. So playing entire genres of music where the chords don't have thirds really does have a major impact. Chords have gender as well. There's major and minor. There's male and female. There's sun and moon. And what you have to change is the third. Here is the third. Here's the root, the third, and the fifth. If I change the third, now we get minor. Major. Minor. I'm just changing the third. The third is the only way to tell what chord you have. This is not information to tell you what a chord is. Here's this. Is it major or minor? What do you think? Happy said. If you said happy, I'll make it sad. Here it is, happy. Hear the difference? Here it is with none of it. It's just an empty void of sound, it seems, because there's far less dissonance. This is the most consonant interval, the fifth, that is not an, as far as it not being an octave. Octave is the most consonant. The fifth is almost as consonant. It has a lot to do with the overtone series. It's the first note that isn't the root or the uh, fundamental in that case. So... Oh, what I didn't mention is that when we learn chords on guitar, we typically learn chords in inversion, simply meaning that the root of the chord is not the very lowest note we hear. We learn chords on guitar very differently than that very often. And it's just the nature of the beast. It's not a fundamental approach, but you learn an instrument, you learn some stuff, it's cool. So I think that's interesting too. Where guitar is the untrained instrument, you know, plug in a guitar and go make a garage band, right? It's not like that, in my opinion, because a lot of classical guitars, a lot of really good guitarists, jazz is included in this. And um, it's funny that that's kind of just the layman's approach to understanding how the typical rock band starts. A lot of these kids do know what they're doing, but the untrained approach often does find you at a level where the fundamental, the root of the chord isn't the bottom. And that changes here's that same chord without without the root at the bottom here it is differently the same chord and this is that same chord again it's the same exact three notes c-e-g changing the order this is what inversion is it changes the order and primarily takes the root and places it somewhere other than the bottom, other than the lowest note that you hear. The bass of the chord, bass player. And I'm going to leave you with some interesting visual on what the bass clef looks like and what it might look like. But remember what I said. Chords have gender, and there's only two. Keys have gender. A key of C major. If I played a chord from each one in the key, We'd get major and minors, an equal amount, three of each. Three major, three minor. One of them happens to be called diminished. We're not going to get into diminished and augmented triads today. There's no reason, really. But if you recall from last episode, they are symmetrical, unlike these major minor chords. They're not symmetrical. And um, that's a whole different thing. You know, when the chord is no longer identified by traditional methods, we've essentially, we've inverted something. 
We've changed the natural perception of things. It doesn't mean it's bad musically, but it could be very bad for us as a species to constantly hear music in its impure state. Art is guided by its own dissonance. When somebody breaks the mold and pioneers something new, art moves forward, much like music should move forward here. Dissonance needs to move forward. And we need it. But fundamental is usually the starting point. All complex things are a bunch of simple things. And computer programming is no different, by the way. But if only there was a way. It's going to take time. If only there was a way to gain enough traction where we could put this kind of information on enough eyes to at least have people think about it. I'm not even talking about the brain-dead type of music that comes out in general, where it's just a simple computer playing a dumb drum beat, which is pointless. It's just a metronome. And then there's some lame nonsense over it where the melody barely spans two different notes and the chords are the same two chords over and over again and not even tonic dominant. We don't even get that dominant thing that I keep mentioning. But it's unfortunate. And I wrote a big note here that I'm not sure about summarizing. I want to just kind of read it word for word. But um, stacking fifths is how our equally tempered scales are generated. Stacking these not pure fifths. The Pythagorean style, as a matter of fact. And he was an Ionian. And we'll have place for that in the next episode, in case you know what modes are. But modern rock, especially rock instrumentation, in other words, what instruments go into a band, typical rock instrumentation would be drums, guitar, bass, maybe keyboard, and singer, maybe a few singers. Um, these standards exemplify it almost exclusively. The inversions and the improper use of technique that I'm mentioning. The non-fundamental approach is what happens when you learn guitar. Almost always, unless you start from scratch. And kids often get bored. They want to play the rock songs right away, you know? Um, and, and what I played earlier was a very typical sounding you know, punk thing. With distortion, obviously. <laughs> and that's a whole other world, plugging in and changing your tone. But everything's missing the third that I just played. And it's still kind of, you get an idea, but it's only through repetition. And when a classical piece would take 20 minutes to do what I just did, it happens every two seconds, it keeps repeating. It's almost a complete cheapening of everything, as a matter of fact. Um, do chords matter? I mentioned this last time. Sometimes melody has the third, and the chord doesn't. There might be a third in the vocal part when, there's not, when they're not in the chords like I just played. It might be there. But it doesn't function the same. It doesn't produce the same effect on the listener or music is supposed to touch you throughout your entire mind, body, soul. And in this method, it's not getting the chance to. And I do think that's a problem. Rock also inverts the rhythmic priority of a measure. We have our typical one, two, three, four, and that's a measure of music. Classical would emphasize the one and the three. No classical, don't make, think that I'm some nerd. I don't care. I'm into metal. I'm into everything. I've played it all too, by the way. Anyone who knows me knows. But the stressed beats, once you, especially once you add a rock drummer, one, two, three, four. Now two and four are the stressed accented beats. This happens in jazz too, by the way. And the ancient melodies up to now the one and the three are really what's stressed. And it's a complete inversion. And, you know, there's other trinities too to mention, but not as important for me to discuss that level of inversion. But the classical operation, especially what was called sonata form for symphonies, is exposition, development, recapitulation. It's where the word recap comes from, recapitulation. These three come in that order specifically, and maybe we come back home and reset it.
That is the nature. There's another trinity involved in writing the sections of a symphony, a movement of a symphony, to be specific. And we get the same idea in rock, but we get verse, chorus, and there's a bridge in the middle usually. And I call them throwaway bridges because more often than not, they are pointless and have nothing to do to help the song along. But but they don't get used in a specific one, two, three, start over again order. You get verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, whatever. And maybe you get something more like intro, altered chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, altered verse, altered chorus, outro. You know, it does more. it's not that simple, obviously, but there is a trinity in these sections of songs, but it doesn't function the same. And therefore, it's again cheapened. So, last but not least, let me leave you with something a little more on the esoteric end of things. I want to show some of the more obvious things that you've probably seen before. For example, good old treble clef. Not much to discuss here today, potentially next time, but you will notice there's a straight line down the center of it for the most part with some swirly twirlies around it. Could look like a rod of Asclepius. Could look like DNA as a result. It could look like a column going down the center of something with things swirling around it. A tonal center. A Mount Meru with its some kind of magnetic polarity to polaris the pole star a pole where everything spins around so there is imagery here that i want to get to but not today here's the other side of that the bass clef also known as the f clef treble clef is also known as the g clef f and g do have priority in c major potentially coincidence not sure not worried about it right now so look at this here's the eye of ra and the eye of horus now, quickly, because I'm not going to get into this in full detail today, but I do want to leave you with these interesting thoughts. Look at the bottom right corner, a little twirl at the end of the eye of Horus. And then take a look at this bass clef again. Really quite similar, without the dots. And dots are often used in certain ancient languages, especially, just picture Hebrew, um, we get dots as vowels that are left out when you know how to read it. Now, look at the bottom left corner. A little bit more of a dramatic swirly-twirl, but this is what the bass clef used to look like. And remember, writing like this, the Western writing, is not that old. Western notation, if you wanted to actually look it up officially. So when we write down music, it's important to be able to transfer information on paper. I get that. But music is not visual. Music is supposed to be seen with the third eye. Music is supposed to be felt and taken in at an emotional level before anything else, in my opinion. Another reason I think words get in the way of that. Now, are there words that match these things? Maybe. We mentioned do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. Do. Interesting that mi, when we do that triad, we get do, mi, sol. My soul. Right? We're missing the mi when you take away the third. We just get the sun and what's called the earth. I'm not sure what to mention. Now, I'm not saying spinning ball earth, of course. Let's look at this. This is chromatic solfege. Every time you see a sharp here, these are the in-betweens. If you'll notice that if you remove the sharps, you'll get do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Now we get do, di, re, re, mi, fa, fi, sol, si, la, li, ti, do. Very interesting to me. Um, conversely, a descending chromatic scale gets rid of the I's and turns them into E's and maybe an A. Kind of like a male-female thing. But look what happens at the end here. What do we get? We get Ra, like the eye of Ra, as it descends back to the tonic. 
is food for thought. Because I have a good feeling this is going to lead to even more discussions and even more ideas. But I thought I would leave that tidbit for you to kind of see things a certain way. And I genuinely hope that I was able to present some of these ideas in a certain way to you because I want to make sure that information is transferred properly, but I also want to make sure that you're intrigued enough to look further into this or to at least think about it as deeply as you possibly can because we listen and hear music constantly. Did you know that major and minor chords are almost exactly the same except for that one middle note, the third? Did you know that major, a key has a major and a minor inside of it in many different ways? The gender is always there. The two genders, by the way. Music proves two genders. Many other things do as well. And um, only one of them, only one of them is able to give life. But both are required to create it initially. Don't let your life suddenly pass you by without using the third and the chord of your life. Father, child, mother. Make sure that everything you do can in some way relate to the properties that music gives us because they can be used in your life. If dissonance is there, it's just a way for you to resolve it to find your place of rest or to move on to the next thing. And moving on to the next thing will be a very exciting journey for us with these music episodes. I hope you're enjoying them so far. I'm certainly enjoying thinking about these things. And um, I'm, I'm unlearning. As I said in the previous episode, I'm unlearning as I do this because there's so, much that there's so many implications behind the words that I'm saying here. And so much to say so little time, I guess, is really the, way, the best way to approach that. But be a healthy triad. Live as your soul expresses itself. It's very easy to not listen, especially with the world that we live in now. Don't let cognitive dissonance ruin your natural ability to take dissonance and to use it for your benefit. Dissonance doesn't always sound like this. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you next time.